He now shineth on me by the sun, and on my soul by the sun of righteousness. But it is as through the crevices of my darksome habitation. But then he will shine on me and in me openly and with the fullest dreams and beams of love. God is the same God in heaven as on earth, but I shall not be the same man. Here the windows of my soul are not open to his light. Sin has raised clouds and consequently storms against my comforts. The entrances to my soul by the straits of flesh and sense are narrow, and they are made narrower by sin than they were by nature. Alas, alas, how often would love have spoken comfortably to me, and I was not at home to be spoken with, but abroad among a world of vanities, or was not at leisure, or was asleep, or not willing to be awakened. How often would love have come in and dwelt with me, and have I have kindly shut him out, how often would he have freely entertained me in secret, but I have some trifle in company or business that I was loath to leave. When his table has been spread for me, and Christ's grace and glory offered to me, how has my appetite been gone or dull? He would have been all to me if I would have been all for him, but in heaven I shall have none of those obstructions. All old unkindness and ingratitude will be forgiven. I shall then be wholly separated from the vanity which here deceived me. I shall joyfully behold the open face and attend the charming voice of glorifying love and delightfully relish his celestial provisions. No disease will corrupt my appetite. No sluggishness will renew my guilty neglects. The love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the communion of the Holy Spirit will triumph over all my folly, deadness, and disaffection and my God displeasing and self-undoing averseness and enmity will be gone forever. Study this heavenly work of love, O my soul. These are not dead or barren studies. It is only love that can relish love and understand it. Here the will has its taste. What can poor carnal worldlings know of glorious love who study it without love? What sounding brass or tinkling cymbals are they that preach of God and Christ and heavenly glory without love? But gazing on the face of love in Christ, tasting its gifts, contemplating its glorious reign, is a way to kindle the sacred fire in thee. The burning glass must be turned directly to the sun in order to its setting anything on fire. A holy love, like that in heaven, must be studiously fetched from heaven and be kindled by the foresight of what is there and what we shall there be forever. Faith must ascend and look within the veil. Thou, my soul, must not live a stranger to thy home and hopes, to thy God and Savior. The fire that must warm thee is in heaven, and thou must come near it and open thyself to its influence, if thou wilt feel its powerful efficacy. It is night and winter with carnal minds, when it is day and summer with those that set their faces heavenward. But in heaven God will make use of second causes even in communicating his love and glory. There the Lord Jesus Christ will not only be the object of our delightful love, but his love to us will be as a vital heat and motion of the heart to all the members, the root of our life and joy. Did his tears for a dead Lazarus make men say, Behold how he loved him? What then will the reviving beams of heavenly life make us say of that love which fills us with the pleasures of his presence and turns our souls into joy itself? Believe, O my soul, thy Savior's love, that thou mayest have a foretaste of it, and be fit for complete enjoyment. Let thy believing be so much of thy daily work, that thou mayest say, He dwells in thy heart by faith, and lives in thee, and that thy life in the flesh is not a fleshly life, but by the faith of the Son of God who loved thee and gave himself for thee. 
Look upon the sun, and think with thyself how its motion, light, and heat are communicated to millions of creatures all over the earth and in the seas. What if all these beams of light and heat were proportionable beams of perfect knowledge, love, and joy? If all the creatures under the sun receive from it as much wisdom, love, and joy as they have of light, heat, and motion, what a blessed world would it be, even a heaven upon earth? Thus will the Son of Glory send forth life, light, and joyful love in all the heavenly inhabitants. Therefore now begin to live upon the influence of His grace, that thou mayest have His name and mark. He has not bid me seek His grace in vain. He more than bids me seek and ask. He teaches me to pray. He makes my prayers and writes them on my heart. He gives me desires, and He loves me to be importunate with Him, and is displeased with me that I will ask and have no more. How then comes my soul to be yet so fond of this wretched flesh and world, and so backward to go home and dwell with Christ? Alas, a taste of heaven on earth is too precious to be cast away upon such as have long grieved and quenched the spirit, and are not by diligent and patient seeking prepared to receive it. My conscience remembers the follies of my youth, and many a later odious sin, and tells me that if heaven were quite hid from my sight, and I should never have a glimpse of the face of the glorious eternal love, it would be just. I look upward from day to day, and better to know my God in my home, I cry to Him daily, My God, my hopes are better than all the possessions of this world, far better than all the pleasures of sin. Thy gracious looks have often revived me, and Thy mercies have been unmeasurable to my soul and body. But oh, how far am I short of what even forty years ago I hope sooner to have attained. Where is the peace that passes all understanding, which should keep my heart and mind through Christ Jesus? Where is the sea and longing and rejoicing faith? Where is that pleasant familiarity with Christ in heaven that would make a thought of them sweeter than the thoughts of friends, health, or all the prosperity and pleasures of this world? To those that dwell in God and God in them, and have their hearts and conversations in heaven, attain no more clear and satisfactory perceptions of that blessed state than I have yet attained? Is there no livelier sense of future joys, no sweeter foretaste, no fuller silencing of doubts and fears? Alas, how many of thy servants are less afraid to go to a prison than to their God, and had rather be banished to a land of strangers than sent to heaven? Must I, that am called thy child, and an heir of heaven, and a co-heir with Christ, have no more acquaintance with my glorified Lord, and no more love to thee, who are at my portion, before I go hence? Shall I have no more of the heavenly life, and light, and love? Alas, I have scarce enough in my meditations, or prayers, or sermons, to denominate them heavenly. And must I go hence, so like a stranger to my home? Wilt thou take strangers into heaven, and know them there as thine, who know thee no better here? O oh my God, vouchsafe a sinner yet more of thy spirit of thy Son, who came to earth to call up earthly minds to God, and to open heaven to all believers. What do I beg so frequently, so earnestly, for the sake of my Redeemer, as the spirit of life and consolation, to show me the reconciled face of God, and unite all my affections to my glorified head, and drop this dark, drowsy soul to love, and long to be with thee? Alas, though those are my daily groans, how little do I ascend. I dare not blame the God of love, nor my blessed Savior, nor the sanctifier and comforter of souls. Undoubtedly the cause is my sinful resistance of the Spirit, my unthankful neglects of grace and glory. But mercy can forgive, grace can overcome, and may I not hope for such a victory before I die? Lord, I will lie at thy doors and pour out my complaints before thee. 
Thou hast told us how kindly the dogs licked the sores of a Lazarus that lay at a rich man's gate. Thou hast commended the good Samaritan for taking care of a wounded man. Thou sayest, Blessed are the merciful. Thou commandest us, Be merciful, as your heavenly Father is merciful. And shall I wait at thy doors in vain? Give me the wedding garment, without which I shall but dishonor thy feast. Thou hast commanded me to rejoice, and how fain would I in this obey thee. Oh, that I had more faithfully obeyed thee in ruling my senses, my thoughts, my tongue, and in the diligent improvements of all my talents, then I might more easily have rejoiced. Lord, help my love and joy. How can I rejoice in death and darkness? I hoped I was long since translated from the kingdom of darkness, and delivered from the power of the prince of darkness, and brought into that light which is the entrance of the inheritance of saints. And yet, alas, darkness is still my misery. There is light round about me in thy word and works, but darkness is within me. And if my eye be dark, the sun will be no sun to me. What is my unbelief but the darkness of my soul? Lord Jesus, scatter all these mists. O thou Son of Righteousness, make thy way into this benighted mind. O send thy advocate to silence every temptation against thy truth and thee, to prosecute thy cause against thy enemies and mine, and to witness my sonship and salvation. I know, my Lord, heaven is not far from me, no, not a day nor an hour's journey to a separate soul. How quick is the communion of my eyes with a distant sun, and couldst thou not show me heaven in a moment? Is not faith a sea and grace? If animated by thee, it conceived the invisible God in the unseen world, the new Jerusalem, the innumerable company of angels, and the spirits of just men made perfect. Without thee, it can do nothing and is nothing. Forgive all my sins and remove this film that sin hath gathered, and my enlightened soul will see thy glory. Oh, no, this veil of flesh must also be rent before I shall see thee with open face, and know my fellow citizens above as I am known. It is not heaven on earth, I am asking, but that I may see it from Mount Nebo, and have the pledge and the first fruits, and that my faith and hope may kindle love and desire, and make me run my race with patience, and live and die in the joy which becomes an heir of heaven. But if my faith on earth must not increase, let it make me the more weary of this dungeon, and more fervently wish for the day when all my desires shall be satisfied, and my soul be filled with thy light and love. And in subordination to Christ, I shall also be a receiver in heaven from angels and saints. If angels are greatly useful to me here, much more will they be there when I shall be more capable of receiving from them. It will be no more diminution to the honor of Christ to make use of my fellow creatures to my joy there than it is here. How gloriously will God shine in the glory of the blessed! How delightful will it be to see their perfection in wisdom, holiness, and love! They will love incomparably better than our dearest friends on earth can, who can only pity us in our pains and go weeping with our corpses to the grave. But the friends above will joyfully convey or welcome our souls to their triumphant society. What a glorious state will it be when all the love of angels and saints in full perfection 
shall be so united as to make one love to one God and to each other as made one in Christ. We little know how great a mercy it is here to be commanded to love our neighbors as ourselves, and much more to be effectually taught of God to love one another. Did we all live in such unfeigned love, earth would resemble heaven. Go then, go willingly, O my soul. Love joins with light to draw up thy desires. Art thou a lover of wisdom, holiness, and love? And wouldst thou not be united to the wise and holy who are made up of love? Art thou a hater of discords and divisions on earth? And wouldst thou not be where all the just are one? Is not thy body, while kept together by an uniting soul, in a better state than when it is to be crumbled into lifeless dust? And does not death creep on thee by a gradual dissolution? Away, then, from this incoherent state, the farther from the center, the farther from unity. It is now thy weakness and imperfection which makes thee so desirous that thy house, thy land, thy clothes, thy books, yea, thy knowledge and grace should be thine and thine only. How much more excellent if thou couldst say that all these, like the light of the sun, are mine, and every one's as well as mine. And heaven, thy knowledge, thy glory, and felicity shall be thine, and others as well as thine. The knowledge, goodness, and glory of all that perfect society shall be thine as far as thy capacity extends. Then hasten upward, O my soul, with thy most fervent desires, and breathe after that state with thy strongest hopes, where thou shalt not be rich and see thy neighbors poor, nor be poor while they are rich, nor be well while they are sick, nor sick while they are well. Communion, as it constitutes the very being of the city of God, will be part of everyone's felicity, and none will have the less for the partation of the rest. This celestial communion of saints is one holy church, above what is here attainable, is now an article of our belief, but believing will soon end in seeing and enjoying. Number 5. It is also far better for me to be with Christ that I might have a perfect activity in doing good. There are good works in heaven, and far more and better than on earth. There will be more life and power for action, more love to God and one another to excite to action, more likeness to God and Christ in doing good as well as being good, more union with the beneficent Jesus to make us also beneficent, and more communion by each contributing to the welfare of the whole and sharing in their common returns to God. What the heavenly works are we must perfectly know when we come thither, we shall join with the whole society, as the scriptures particularly describe, in giving thanks and praise to God and our Redeemer. All passions earnestly desire to be freely exercised, especially our holy affections of love, joy, and admiration of Almighty God. In expressing such affections, we naturally desire communion with many. Methinks when we are singing the praises of God in great assemblies with joyful and fervent spirits, I have the liveliest foretaste of heaven upon earth, and could almost wish that our voices were loud enough to reach through all the world into heaven itself. Nor could I ever be offended with the sober and seasonable use of instrumental music to help to tune my soul in so holy a work. Nothing comforts me more in my greatest sufferings, nor seems more fit for me while I wait for death than singing psalms of praise to God, nor is there any exercise in which I had rather end my life. Should I not then willingly go to the heavenly choir, where God is praised in perfect love and joy and harmony, 
Had I more of a praising frame of soul, I should long no more for that life of praise. I never find myself more willingly to be there than when I most joyfully speak or sing of the praises of God. Though the dead praise not God in the grave, nor does celebrate Him, yet living souls in heaven do it joyfully, while their fleshly clothing turns to dust. Lord, tune my soul to Thy praises now. That sweet experience may make me long to be where I shall do it better. Wherever there is any excellent music, I see men naturally flock to it and hear it with delight. Surely had I once heard the heavenly choir, I should echo to their holy songs and think it the truest blessedness to bear my part. My God, it is the inward melody of thy spirit and my own conscience that must tune me for the heavenly melody. O speak thy love first to my heart, and then I shall joyfully speak it to others, and shall ardently seek after communion better than that of sinful mortals. Though my sins make a sad discord in my present songs, I hope my sighs and tears for sin have had the honor of thine acceptance, who despises not a contrite soul. But if thy spirit will sing and speak within me, and help me against the jarring murmur of my unbelieving heart and pain flesh, I shall then offer thee what is more suitable to thy love and grace. I confess, Lord, that daily tears and sighs are not unsuitable to the eyes and voice of so great a sinner, now under thy correcting rod. But he that offereth praise glorifies thee. And is not this a spiritual sacrifice acceptable through Christ, for which we are made priests to God? I refuse not, Lord, to lie in tears and groans when thou requirest it. Nor do thou reject those tears and groans, but, O, oh, give me better, that I may have better of thine own to offer thee, and so prepare me for the far better which I shall find with Christ. Probably God makes glorified spirits the agents of his beneficence to inferior creatures. Where he bestows on any of the noblest endowments, we see he makes most use of such for the benefit of others. Christ tells us we shall be like or equal to the angels, who are evidently the ministers of God for the good of his people in this world. The apostle says, The saints shall judge the world and angels, intimating that devils and damned spirits shall be subjected to the saints. But if there were no more for us to do in heaven, but with perfect knowledge, love, and joy to hold communion with God and all the heavenly society, it is enough to excite in a considerate soul the most fervent desires to be at home with God. Chapter 5 The author breathes after willingness to depart and to be with Christ. I am convinced that it is far better to depart and to be with Christ than to be here, but this conviction alone will not excite such desires in my soul. They are opposed by a natural aversion to death, which sin has greatly increased by the remains of unbelief, which avails itself of our darkness in the flesh, and our too great familiarity with this visible world, and also by the want of our more lively foretaste of heaven. What must be done to overcome this opposition? Is there no remedy? Yes, there is a divine teaching by which we must learn so to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. When we have read and heard, spoken and written, the soundest truth and strongest arguments will still know as if we knew not, and believe as if we believe not, unless God powerfully impresses the same things on our minds, and awakens our souls to feel what we know. Since we fail from God the communion between our senses and understanding, and also between our understanding and our will and affections is violated, and we are divided in ourselves by the schism in our faculties. 
All men may easily know that there is an almighty, omniscient, omnipresent, eternal, and perfectly holy and good God, the maker, preserver, and governor of all, who deserves our whole trust, love, and obedience. But how little of this knowledge is to be perceived in men's hearts or lives. All men know that the world is vanity, that man must die, that riches cannot then profit, that time is precious, and that we have but little time to prepare for eternity. But how little do men seem to have of the real knowledge of these plain truths? Indeed, when God comes in with His powerful awakening light and love, then those things appear as different as if we were beginning to know them. All my best reasons for our immortality are but as a new-formed body of Adam before God breathes into him the breath of life, and he only can make them living reasons. To the Father of lights I must therefore still look up, and for his light and love I must still wait. I must learn both as a student and a beggar. When I have thought a thought a thousand times, I must beg thy blessing, Lord, upon my thoughts. The eye of my understanding will be useless or vexations to me without thy illuminating beams. O shine the soul of thy servant into a clearer knowledge of thyself and kingdom, and love him into more divine and heavenly love, and he will then willingly come to thee. Why should I, by the fears of death, strive against the common course of nature, and against my only hopes of happiness? Is it not appointed unto men once to die? Would I have God make sinful man immortal upon earth? When we are sinless we shall be immortal. The love of life was given to teach me to preserve it with care, use it well, and not to torment myself with the continual foresight of death. If it be the misery after death that is feared, oh, what have I to do but to receive the free reconciling grace which is offered me from heaven to save me from such misery, and to devote myself totally to him who has promised, him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out? Had I studied my duty and remembered that I am not my own, and that my times are in God's hand, I had been quiet from these fruitless fears. Had my resignation and devotedness to God been more absolute, my trust in Him would have been more easy. But, Lord, Thou knowest that I would fain be Thine and wholly Thine, and that to Thee I desire to live. Therefore let me trust Thee with my soul. Why should I have any remaining doubt of the future state of pious separate spirits? My Savior has entered into the holiest and has assured me that there are many mansions in His Father's house and that when we are absent from the body, we shall be present with the Lord. Who can think that all holy souls that have gone hence from the beginning of the world have been deceived in their faith and hope, and that all those who hope was only in this life have been in the right? Shall I not abhor every suggestion that contains such absurdity? Wonderful that Satan can keep up so much unbelief in the world while he must make men's fools in order to make them unbelievers and ungodly that my soul has no more lively foretaste of heaven, arises from those many willful sins by which I have quenched the spirit, and from the soul's imprisonment in the flesh. This, oh, this is the misery and burden of my soul. Though I can say I love God's truth and grace, His work and servants, yet that I have no more ardent and delightful love of heaven, where His loveliness will be more fully open to my soul, is my sin, calamity, and shame. If I did not see that it is so with others of the servants of Christ as well as myself, I should doubt whether affection soldiers proportionate to my profession did not imply an unsound faith. It is strange that one who expects quickly to see the glorious world and enter the holy celestial society should not be more joyfully affected with such hopes, and that I should think so much of the pain and perishing of the flesh 
though it be the common way to such an end. O hateful fan that has darkened and corrupted souls to indispose them for their only expected happiness, what did man when he forsook the love and obedience of his God? How just that this flesh should be our prison, which we are for making our home. How mournful that there is no more grace and holiness, knowledge of God and communion with Him in this world, that so few are saints, and those few are so very imperfect, that while the sun shines on all the earth, the sun of righteousness shines on so small a part of it. He that made us capable of holy and heavenly affections gave us not that capacity in vain, yet alas, how little of God and glory enters into the hearts of men. When recovering light shines upon us, how unthankfully do we entertain it. We cannot have the conduct and comfort of it while we shut our eyes and turn away. And though God give to the best not so much of it as they desire, it is an unspeakable mercy that in this darksome world we may but hear of a better world and may seek it in hope. We must not grudge in our prison to be denied such a presence of our King and such pleasures of the kingdom as innocent and free subjects have. Hope of pardon and of speedy deliverance are great mercies to malefactors. And if my want of the knowledge and love of God and of joyful communion with the heavenly society be my prison, and as the suburbs of hell, should it not make me long for the day of my redemption and the glorious liberty of the sons of God? My sincere desires of deliverance and of holiness and perfection are my evidences that I shall obtain them. As a will is a sinner, so the obstinate continuance of a will to sin is a cause of continued sin. So far as God makes us willing to be delivered from sin, so far we are delivered, and our imperfect deliverance is a way to more. If pains make me groan for ease and sickness for health, why should not my remains of ignorance, unbelief, and alienation from God excite my desire after the day of my salvation? As it is the nature of my sin to draw down my heart from God and glory, so it is the nature of my faith, hope, and love to raise my heart toward heavenly perfection, not to desire death, but that which is beyond it. And have I been so many years in the school of Christ, learning both how to live and die, praying for this grace, and exercising it against this sinful flesh, and after all shall I not find flesh more powerful to draw me downward than faith, hope, and love to carry my desires up to God? Oh, God forbid! O oh, thou that freely gavest me thy grace, maintain it to the last against its enemies and make it finally victorious. It came from thee. It has been preserved by thee. It is on thy side and holy for thee. Without it I had lived as a beast and should die more miserably than a beast. It is thine image that thou lovest. It is a divine nature and a heavenly being. What will a soul be without it but a dungeon of darkness and dead to holiness and heaven? Without it, who shall plead thy cause against the devil, world, and flesh? Without thy glory, earth is but earth, and without thy grace, earth would be a hell. Oh, rather, deny me the light of the sun than the light of thy countenance. Less miserable had I been without life or being than without thy grace. Without thine and my Savior's help, I could do nothing. I could not pray or learn without thee. I never could conquer a temptation without thee. And can I die or be prepared to die without thee? I shall but say, as Thomas of Christ, I know not whither my soul is going, and how can I know the way? My Lord, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He even commended and rewarded those that had continued with him in his temptations. Thou lovest fidelity and perseverance in thy servants, and wilt thou forsake a sinner in his extremity who consents to thy covenant and would not forsake thee? My God, I have often sinned against thee, but thou knowest I would fain be thine. 
I can say with Paul, Thou art the God whose I am and whom I serve, and oh, that I could serve Thee better. To serve Thee is but to receive Thy grace and use it for my own and others' good, and thereby please and glorify Thee. I have nothing to do in this world but to seek and serve Thee. I have nothing to do with my tongue but to speak to Thee and for Thee, and with, and with my pen but to publish Thy glory and Thy will. What have I to do with all my reputation and influence over others but to increase thy church and propagate thy holy truth and service? What have I to do with my remaining time, even these last and languishing hours, but to look up unto thee and wait for thy grace and thy salvation? O oh, pardon all my carnal thoughts, all my unthankful treatment of thy grace and love, and all my willful sins against thy truth and thee. Under the terrors of the law thou didst even proclaim thyself the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiven iniquity, transgression, and sin. And is not the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ revealed in the gospel for our more abundant faith and consolation? My God, I know I can never be sufficiently confident of thy all-sufficient power, wisdom, and goodness. When I have said, Will the Lord cast me off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Does his promises fail forevermore? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Conscience has replied, This is mine infirmity. I never wanted comfort for want of mercy in thee, but for want of faith and holiness in myself. And hast thou not mercy also to give me that faith and holiness? My God, all is of thee and through thee and to thee. And when I have the felicity, the glory of all forever will be thine. None that trust in thy nature and promise shall be ashamed. If I can live and die trusting in thee, surely I shall not be confounded. Why then should it seem a difficult question how my soul may willingly leave this world and go to Christ in peace? The same grace which regenerated me must bring me to my desired end. Believe and trust thy Father, thy Savior, and thy Comforter. Hope for the joyful entertainments of the promised blessedness and long by love for his nearer divine union and communion. Thus, O my soul, mayest thou depart in peace. Number 1. Believe and trust the promise of God. How sure is it, and how suitable to his love, to the nature of our souls, and to the operations of every grace. Why, O my soul, art thou so vainly solicitous to have clear, distinct conceptions of the celestial world? When thou art possessed of a better state, thou shalt know it as a possessor ought to do. For such a knowledge as thou lookest after is part of the possession. Thy Savior and his glorified saints are possessors. His knowledge must now be thy chief satisfaction. Seek not vainly to usurp his prerogative. Wouldst thou be a God and Savior to thyself? Consider how much of the fall there is in this selfish desire to be as God, and knowing that that which belongs not to thee to know. Thou knowest that there undoubtedly is a God of infinite perfection, and that He is rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Labor more to know thy duty to this God, and absolutely trust Him as to the particulars of thy reward. Thou didst trust thy parents to provide thee food and raiment, and didst implicitly obey them. Thou hast trusted physicians to give thee medicines, without inquiring after every ingredient. If a pilot undertake to carry thee to the Indies, thou canst trust his conduct without knowing either the ship or how to govern it, or the way or the place to which thou art conveyed. And must not thy God and Savior be trusted to bring thee safe to heaven, unless he will satisfy all thy inquiries? The command to be careful for nothing, and to cast all thy cares on God who careth for thee, obligeth thee in all things that are God's part. To dispose of a departing soul is God's part. 
How much more evil is there in this distrusting, self-providing care? Be not cast down, O departing soul, nor by unbelief disquieted within me. Trust thou in God. For soon shall experience teach thee to praise Him, who is the health of thy countenance, and my God. How clearly does reason command me to trust Him absolutely and implicitly to trust Him and to distrust myself. He is essential, infinite, perfection, wisdom, power, and love. There is nothing to be trusted in any creature but God working in it or by it. I am altogether His own by right, by devotion, and by consent. He is the giver of all good to every creature, as freely as the sun gives its light. And shall we not trust the sun to shine? He is my Father and has taken me into His family, and shall I not trust my Heavenly Father? He has given me His Son as the greatest pledge of His all, and shall He not with Him also freely give me all things? His Son purposely came to reveal His Father's unspeakable love, and shall I not trust Him who has proclaimed His love by such a messenger from heaven? He has given me the spirit of His Son, even the spirit of adoption, the witness, pledge, and earnest of heaven, the seal of God upon me, holiness to the Lord. And shall I not believe His love and trust Him? He has made me a member of His Son, and will He not take care of me? And is not Christ to be trusted with His members? I am His interest and the interest of His Son, freely beloved and dearly bought. And may I not trust Him with His treasure? He has made me the care of angels who rejoiced at my repentance, and shall they lose their joy or ministration? He is in covenant with me, and has given me many great and precious promises, and can he be unfaithful? My Savior is the forerunner who has entered into the holiest, and is there interceding for me, having first conquered death to assure us of a future life, and ascended into heaven to show us whither we must ascend, saying to his brethren, I ascend to my Father, and your Father, to my God, and your God. And shall I not follow him through death, and trust such a guide and captain of my salvation? He is there to prepare a place for me, and will receive me unto himself. And may I not confidently expect it? He told the malefactor on the cross, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise, to show believing sinners what they may expect. His apostles and other saints have served him on earth with all these expectations. The spirits of just men made perfect are now possessing what I hope for. And I am a follower of them who through faith and patience inherit the promised felicity. And may I not trust him to save me who has already saved millions? I must be at the divine disposal whether I will or not. And however I vex my soul with fears and cares and sorrows, I shall never prevail against the will of God which is the only rest of souls. Our own wills have undone us and are our disease, our prison, and our death till they are brought over to the will of God. And shall I die distrustfully striving against His will and preferring my own before it? What abundant experience have I had of God's fidelity and love? And after all, shall I not trust Him? His undeserved mercy gave me being, chose my parents, gave them affectionate desires for my real good, taught them to instruct me early in His word and educate me in His fear, made my habitation and companions suitable, endowed me with a teachable disposition, put excellent books into my hands, and placed me under wise and faithful schoolmasters and ministers. His mercy fixed me in the best of lands and in the best age that land has seen. His mercy early destroyed in me all great expectations from the world, taught me to bear the yoke from my youth, caused me rather to groan under my infirmities and struggle with powerful lusts, and chastened me betimes, but did not give me over unto death. Ever since I was at the age of nineteen, great mercy has trained me up in the school of affliction, to keep my sluggish soul awake in the constant expectation of my change, to kill my proud and worldly thoughts, and to direct all my studies to things the most necessary. 
How has a life of constant but gentle chastisement urged me to make my calling and election sure and to prepare my accounts as one that must quickly give them up to God? The face of death and nearness of eternity convinced me what books to read, what studies to prosecute, what companions to choose, drove me early into the vineyard of the Lord and taught me to preach as a dying man to dying men. It was divine love and mercy which made sacred truth so pleasant to me that my life under all my infirmities has been almost a constant recreation. How far beyond my expectation has a merciful God encouraged me in His sacred work? Choosing every place of my ministry and abode to this day without my own seeking and never sending me to labor in vain. How many are gone to heaven and how many are in the way through a divine blessing on the word which in weakness I delivered? Many good Christians are glad of now and then an hour to meditate on God's Word and refresh himself in his holy worship. But God has loud and called me to make it the constant business of my life. In my library I have profitably and pleasantly dwelt among the shining lights with which the learned wise and holy men of all ages have illuminated the world. How many comfortable hours have I had in the society of living saints and in the love of faithful friends? How many joyful days and solemn worshiping assemblies where the Spirit of Christ has been manifestly present, both with ministers and people. How unworthy was such a sinful worm as I, who never had any academical helps, nor much from the mouth of any teacher, that books should become so great a blessing to me, and that God should induce or constrain me quite beyond my own intentions to provide any such like help for others. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, 
as it is well known and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.